we have been spending the summer going through the Gospel of Luke. So um, Jeff has just done an amazing job taking us through kind of some of the history of the Gospel of Luke, um, looking at what this Gospel is all about, who this Luke guy was, how he was a doctor who researched, went back, and learned all that he could learn about Jesus and came back and wrote this account of Jesus's life so that we could learn more about him and learn more about his ways and his teaching. And we've kind of gone through the whole um, book over the summer. If you want to go back and listen, all of the messages are online if you want to get caught up. I know in the summer um, people are traveling and stuff. So if you want to catch up, you can do that. All the messages are online. But today I wanted to take us to a super familiar story in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. And it's a story that is very, very familiar. And it is the story of two sisters, this um, Mary and Martha. Now, this Mary and Martha were Jesus's friends. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were friends of Jesus. Jesus had begun his ministry. He was traveling all over. He had his disciples. And so he would travel from place to place to place to place. But we see that very, very often he would stop at the home of this family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were his friends. It's really great. And we see different snippets of their life throughout the gospel. Um, I had the chance to go to Israel a few years ago and got to stop in Bethany, which is the little town where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And it's kind of right on the path. So, you know, there's no holiday inn. There's nowhere to go. You know, if you're traveling, you're like, huh, where will I stay tonight? The travel lodge and the local restaurant. These disciples relied on the hospitality of other people when they would go through a town. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were kind of the stopping point where people just... Jesus just always went, and he brought his disciples to stay at their house, and they were his friends. We read about their lives in different places in the gospel, and especially about the story of later on in Luke or John chapter 11, where we read the story where Lazarus actually dies, and Jesus comes and raises him back to life. And so this is an amazing family, and this story in particular gives us some insight into this family. It gives us a little snippet into the lives of these sisters, and so we're going to just look at that today. I'm going to just start with a word of prayer before we get going. Jesus, I thank you that your word is living and active and applicable for every situation we would face. And today, as we read and we study this story about these two sisters, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would come and enlighten something in our hearts. Lord, I pray that today we would hear your Holy Spirit whisper to us. I pray, Lord, that your word would speak truth to us. I thank you that it is life-giving and full of everything that we need and applicable to things that we are going through even right now. And so I just thank you for your holy presence, and I pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Luke chapter 10, starting in verses 38 through 42. Here's the story. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So we see this interesting interaction between the sisters and Jesus, and kind of this interesting moment where 
They are doing all the things that they normally do. A couple things to note about this story. Hospitality was highly valued. Like I said, there was nowhere to just stop and eat. And so when people would come into your home, it was a great honor. And you wanted to serve them well. And you wanted to do the very best that you could. And you wanted to um, serve those people the best of your abilities. And Jesus did not travel light. He had a whole lot of big guys with him, right? So the fact that Jesus was there with all of his disciples, this was a big amount of people people. And there was a lot of preparation that would go into that. I like to, um, a couple years ago, we were where my, my extended family is from in western Nebraska. And I took Dottie out to see, they had one of the old covered wagons um, that the pioneer women used to, you know, put everything in. And I was kind of trying to explain to Dottie what that would be like. Like, imagine, like, no refrigerator. You had to, you know, cook everything. You had to find all your food. You couldn't preserve things. And I was explaining to her how, you know, what that would be like to cook for your family without, you know, a stove and modern conveniences. And she was like, I don't know if you'd be very good at that, Mom. (laughs) I was like... I don't know if I would be either, Dottie. I think we are really blessed that we have been born when we have been born. So imagine, not only, I know some of you have had people in your homes, and you know what it's like to host a bunch of people for dinner in your home, a lot of people. So we know that there's at least 13, Jesus and his 12 disciples, at least 13. And tradition tells us that a lot of other people would have come to the home that night to hear Jesus begin to teach. So it's like a party in your house with no refrigerator, you know, something like that. And so there's a lot of work to be done, and there's a lot of things to be finished. And hospitality was highly valued, and Martha was doing what she was supposed to do. She was in the kitchen, and she was working hard, and she was preparing the food for all of these people. And Mary was not. Mary was not. Martha was in the kitchen. She was doing all the things she was supposed to do. But Mary, it says that she was sitting at the Lord's feet. Now, this behavior not only was kind of annoying to her sister, this was culturally like a big no-no. Because at that time, when people would gather like this, in the reading that I did this week, I've learned that people would come in when there would be a teacher or a rabbi who would come into town, and they would gather in a home, and the rabbi would sit down in the middle of the room, and the people who were guests would come, and they would kind of sit along the perimeter. They would sit in chairs or recline, and then the disciples would come, and they would sit right at the feet of the teacher, right in front of them. They would sit, you know, just kind of like story time in kindergarten where someone's with the book. They would sit right in front of them, and the rabbi would begin to teach, but not only would he begin to teach, the disciples would begin to ask questions. This was like a dialogue. They would ask questions, and Jesus would respond, and they would interact, they would give their thoughts on things, and it was this really interesting interaction, and yet women were never allowed to be in that place. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, but this was not the expected role of a woman in that culture. Women were actually forbidden to learn at the feet of a rabbi because it was considered improper and they were forbidden. Not only that, but girls were not educated in this day and time. You would take your sons to the temple to learn, but never your daughters. And so we know that there would be lots of people in this room. We know that people were interacting and listening. Picture this room full of people. Everybody kind of knows the drill. Everybody kind of knows what's expected. Everyone is doing what everybody is supposed to be doing. So Jesus comes in, and he sits down in the middle of the room. And all the other men take the place on the outside of the room. And the disciples, they come, and they sit down. And then all of a sudden, here comes Mary. And she plops down in front of the feet of Jesus. 
can you imagine? That? Are you feeling the awkward of <laughs> that moment? Like everyone's kind of like, eh, um, why is she there? She, maybe she doesn't know. Has anyone told her she doesn't belong there? She's not supposed to be there. Have you ever had a moment like that where you walk into a place and you're not really supposed to be there or it's an awkward thing? Maybe you showed up for a meeting at work and you weren't supposed to be in that meeting and everyone's kind of like, who's going to tell them they're in the wrong place? I actually was asking Jeff to remind me of a story where this happened to me and this happened to me when my kids were little. I was teaching Bible studies and there was a woman who had started coming to a Bible study and didn't really have a lot of friends in the area. She was new to town and so she was having a birthday and she'd invited me to come to her house for a birthday party and so I thought well that's fine I don't really know her that well I don't really know any of her people but I just thought I would be gracious and go to her party and so I went by myself because I didn't really know anybody else that was invited and I turned onto the street and this must have been before GPS and Google Maps because I just turned onto the street and I saw a bunch of balloons outside of a house and so I get out with my gift and I walk into the backyard and I just start and I'm like and you know in that moment I'm like hey everybody how's it going and somebody starts talking and I'm just kind of shooting the breeze and like wow, this is a beautiful neighborhood, and I'm just kind of doing my thing where I don't really know everybody, but I'm just going to kind of be friendly. And I'm talking, and all of a sudden, everybody's kind of being nice and talking to me. And it was an awkwardly long time before I saw the, like, congratulations on your retirement Howard sign on the wall. And I was at the wrong party. And I was like, and all of a sudden, I saw it, and everybody, I was kind of like, and they saw me realize that I was at the wrong party. And then I'm thinking, like, is there a way to get out of this without being super awkward? I was like, I don't think there is. And Allison was like, well, I think I'm at the wrong party. It's really nice to meet you. Congratulations on your retirement. Job well done. I'm going to go find, do you guys know where this other, oh yeah, it's just two houses down. Oh, thank you. Awesome. And I remember just walking out there like, oh my word. And you know, my husband laughs. I don't ever enter a room quietly. So of course, you know, I couldn't have just snuck in and no, I was already talking to everybody. But it, I, I imagine that that's the moment that everybody's saying, they're going like, who's going to be the one to tell her she does not belong here? <laughs> Who's going to tell her that awkward moment? And so I can imagine everybody in the room when all of the sudden Mary walks in and plops down in the middle of all those boys, in the middle of all those disciples, and sits down at Jesus' feet and thinks, I got some questions. I'm going to ask some questions. This intrigues me, intrigues me to no end. I think everybody was probably thinking, well, what do we do now? Who's going to tell her that this isn't her place? And, oh, man, maybe they were thinking, this is so awkward. She doesn't know. Maybe she doesn't know she doesn't belong here. And even her sister, who is in the kitchen, is exasperated by this situation. And we see that she comes out and she goes to Jesus like, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, because big sisters are really good at letting you know that. I have a really good bossy big sister. And I think pretty much she would be the one to go like, Christy, you are not supposed to be there, right? But we see that she goes to Jesus and says, tell her to help me. Hey, hey, tell her to come in the kitchen. Tell her to help me. Tell her to get in there. Now, I am a bit of a Martha in my heart. I'm a bit of a Martha. Um, I like to be busy and doing all the things. And, you know, I've always heard this story in a way 
of, you know, Mary was learning the better part because she was sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha was working too hard and she wasn't getting to know Jesus. But this week as I was reading this, I suddenly had some different insight into the story because I was imagining Martha... And traditionally, I think we think of the story thinking that she was upset with her sister because her sister wasn't helping her. And I wonder, I don't know if this is true, but this week I was thinking about it. I wonder if she was more embarrassed because her sister was just doing what she wasn't supposed to be doing. She wasn't playing by the rules. She wasn't doing the right thing. I'm a bit of a rule follower. Do we have any rule followers in the, in the room? How do you feel when the people around you are not following the rules? It gets a little like, I don't know if we're supposed to do that. I happen to be married to a non-rule follower. And every time he turns, every time we go to the Lakeville McDonald's and there's the arrow that goes like this, he always pulls into the one because he's like, it's stupid. I don't know why they put it that way. And so every time my husband goes in the out just because he needs to stick his foot down and say, that's a dumb rule. So, and every time I think, oh, You're not doing it right. That's the end. You're not supposed to go out that way. You're supposed to drive all the way around. And so we have rule followers, and we have those of you that doesn't bother you to not follow the rules, and you might even enjoy not following the rules a little bit. But I wonder if Martha is a little bit of a rule follower. And I wonder if her going to Jesus was not her sideways way of saying, I cannot believe that she had the nerve to go sit there. Tell her to come in here where she belongs. I wonder if maybe there was a little more of that going on in Martha. You see, we Marthas, we tend to be people pleasers. We follow the rules because we don't want to get in trouble, and we don't want to let anybody down, and we don't want to look like we don't know what the rules are. We want to look like we've got it all together. And so we stay in the kitchen, and we work really hard because that's where we're supposed to be, and that's where everybody has said we always belong. And so we stay there, and we do our thing. We're rule followers. We're tradition respecters. We like to go by what everybody else has done. And we are governed by expectations. Other people's expectations of us and our own expectations of ourselves to be able to live up to the expectations of others on us. And so I can imagine that Martha is watching her sister do the culturally unaccepted thing and plop down at the feet of Jesus and something in her is going, mm 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 let me make sure you know you don't belong there. Get in the kitchen with me. That's where you deserve. Maybe she just couldn't keep up the idea of perfectionism. Maybe she couldn't get all the work done and the cracks were starting to show and she was feeling like, she better come in here and help me. I can't stay on top of this. She better, she better get back in here. I wonder if she was maybe just a little bit frustrated by the liberation of her sister's heart. Because when you are stuck in the kitchen and you don't want to be in the kitchen, but you see somebody else that says, you know what, I think that maybe I'm going to go out there. There's a little bit of something in us that will stop and go, how dare she? Because inside, if we're really honest, we hate the fact that we aren't out there, that we're not free, that we didn't have the courage to do that. I wonder if she was not fishing a little bit for Jesus to remind her sister of the proper expectations of a woman in that day. And because us Marthas, there's a piece of us that kind of desperately wants to break out of the kitchen. We would love to maybe try something new and different, but the truth is we're terrified of what other people will think if we do. We're terrified to think, well, what do they say? What, what if I go and sit there? I know they're going to start talking about me. They're gonna, the tongues will start wagging. And what will I do then? I remember being in college and um, 
we used to have a worship gathering at, on Wednesday nights late at night, and everybody would come and worship. And I was, you know, I, I sang, and so we always inquired, you know, we'd stand very still and sing. And, you know, I remember my voice teacher, feet planted, don't move, stand there and sing. That's kind of how I always stood and sang. And I remember being in worship at one of those events, and I would go every week. And I remember there was a girl who was kind of a distant friend of mine, but she would always be leading worship, and she was always so expressive, and she would just, like, raise her hands, and she would, if she got really, you know, she would jump, and she would sing, and she would just, she was just lost in it, and every week, I would bawl my eyes out watching her. I would cry, and then I would think, why am I crying? Why am I crying? And, and every week, again, I would come and I would watch this girl in worship. I would watch her just be so free in worship and just so, and I would cry, and I would cry, and I would cry. And finally one night I went back to my roommate and I'm like, why am I crying? And then I was trying to make up an excuse. I go, you know, I'm just so happy for her. I'm just so happy for her because she's so free. Like, she's just not, she's not encumbered by anything. Like, she just really seems to be able to enjoy worship. And I'm just, I think I'm crying because I'm so happy for her. And one night, the next week, as I was there at church again, I remember watching her worship and crying. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart. You're not crying because you're happy for her. You're crying her because you cannot be her. Because you are so worried about what other people would think. If you really poured yourself out in worship, if you, really, if you really were not afraid to really pour out what your heart is doing. And it was so true. It was so true. My heart on the inside wanted to worship like this girl was, but my feet were firmly planted and my arms were firmly down, not because I didn't feel it in my heart, but because I thought, what will other people think? What will other people do? What will, what will they think if I, like, oh, my goodness, you know, we were not dancing people growing up. So I was like, I don't know. And I remember just feeling all that sudden, like, this has to do with fear of other people. This doesn't have anything to do with anything other than what I'm afraid that people are going to think. And I remember that was the beginning of God kind of unlocking some things in my heart when it comes to worship. And the freedom to be able to worship Jesus. And I remember the first, the next week I thought, well, okay, if I want to, you know, I'm feeling, I'm going to maybe move my foot. And I remember being like, oh my goodness, I'm moving one foot. I'm moving one foot. Is anybody seeing me moving one foot? I'm feeling very nervous about this foot situation. I'm thinking, Lord, this is really ridiculous worship because all I'm thinking about is the fact that like, maybe if I do the other foot, oh no, people are going to see both feet. Oh no, oh no, I'm so embarrassed. But that was just the beginning of something unlocking in my heart. And believe me, I know that Jesus is not especially concerned about whether my feet are moving or not. But he is continually, my entire life, come right at that part of me that worries about what other people think about me. Relentlessly. And probably till the day I die, that will be the place he comes and puts his finger on. Why are you so worried about what other people are going to think about you? Why can't you just worry about trusting me? Why are you so afraid? And so as I read this story this week, oh my goodness, I've read this story so many times. I even told Jeff, I'll preach this this weekend. I got this story down. I know it. Don't work so hard in the kitchen, sit at Jesus' feet. I was not expecting Jesus to come back at me with this notion of stop worrying what other people think. And when I read the story the first time, the first thing that I thought is, Look at the incredible bravery of Mary. Look at the incredible bravery of Mary. 
because there was something inside of her that was stronger than her need to do what was expected of her. There was something in her that passionately loved Jesus so much that wanted to know more about him that the idea that she was going to go sit at his feet, she just had to do it. She just had to do it. She had to let go of all of that fear. She simply had to be closer to him. She just had to be there. The absolute audacity of Mary to look around the room. I wonder what that moment was like when she was watching everybody sit down. And she's standing by the kitchen door thinking, well, I can go back in there. It's where everybody thinks I should be. Or I can walk up there and I can sit down. And the fire that must have been in her belly to think and look around and go, I know what they're all going to say about me. I know what they're going to think. I know they're all going to be like, somebody tell her to get back in the kitchen. And yet that first step, can you imagine the freedom? I am going to sit at the feet of Jesus. I know people are going to shake their heads, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. And the more I thought about it, man, I am no Mary, but I sure want to be Mary. I sure want to have that kind of freedom in my walk with Christ. I sure want to have that freedom in my relationship. I don't want to be bound by what everybody else thinks about me to the point where I never really embrace all that God fully has for me because I'm so scared of what everybody else will think. She reminds me of another woman in the Bible that we see in Luke chapter 8. She's a woman with the issue of blood. Here's the story. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. But coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe immediately, and the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus said. Everyone denied it, but Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out for me. And when the woman realized she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of them. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Now, she'd been bleeding for 12 years. That means she was unclean. She was not allowed to be in a crowd of people. She wasn't allowed to touch anybody. Anybody that came near her, even if their clothes brushed up against her clothes, they were considered unclean. And so she had been told, for how long? 12 years? Stay out here. You're not allowed in there. And yet something in her went, I have got to get to Jesus. I have got to get there. And she probably was thinking, I hope nobody recognizes me. I hope nobody stops me. I know I'm not supposed to be there. I know everybody's probably thinking, what in the world are you doing? And yet I have to get there. I have to touch him. And if I can do that, I know that my life will never be the same. And she was determined, that passion inside of us, that she knew she had to get there. She had to get to the point where she was okay with ruffling a few feathers. Or she would have missed out on her healing. And as we've looked through Luke this summer, this is the thing that keeps coming back to me. We've read all these stories. Jesus was a little bit of a troublemaker. <laughs> he really was. Every, you know, every time we, Jeff would do another story, I was like, there he was again, doing the things everybody told him not to. There he was again, talking to the people everybody said not to talk. There he is again, going to the plate. He just, he would have gone in the out at McDonald's. I'm pretty sure of it. Just because I think there was just something in him. He was always challenging the status quo way of thinking. He was always pushing people towards the brave and the unknown. Even in who he picked for his disciples. Rabbis would fight over who got the most educated people to be their disciples. Who would be the most, of the best pedigree, from the best background, the most educated, the most um, 
influence, the ones who had the most potential. And Jesus walks over to a bunch of dirty fishermen. You guys want to come with me? Come on. I'm sure people are just like, what in the world? That's not how it's done. And I think he, he just purposely over and over and over looked at defied the expectations of what people had. He talked to women when he wasn't supposed to. He picked tax collectors to be his friends. He went and ate with people who were sinners who other people wouldn't even go near. He went and sat at their table. And Jesus is kind of a rebel. And as I was thinking about this week, I started thinking, man, I kind of have in my mind an imagination of a, a really a rule follower Jesus. Like a Jesus that, you know, just kind of goes along with what everybody else thinks. And that's really not who we have found in the Gospel of Luke this summer, is it? That's not who we have found. And I started thinking, you know what? If I think that Jesus is only going to lead me into places where everything is, everyone is going to approve of everything I do, I think I have a wrong idea of who Jesus is. If I expect him to just take me to places that are expected and to do things that everybody is going to say, oh, that's a great idea. You should totally do that. If I never have anybody going, oh, hold on. Do you belong there? Maybe I am not really living all that God has for me because this is the Jesus that says to perfectly normal people on a boat, why don't you just get out and start walking on that sea? <laughs> that's Jesus. And yet so often I think, well, surely if everyone else approves of it, that is the Jesus-approved model. And yet we're not seeing that in Scripture. As I imagine this, Luke, this scene in Luke 11 of Mary in her room with all the boys thinking to herself, I do not want to be in that kitchen. I do not want to be in there anymore. I want to be in the thick of it. I want to be sitting there. I want to ask the questions. I want to sit at his feet. I want to hear what he has to say. I don't want to have to be listening from the back. I want to be right there. I can imagine that she had that inner dialogue going on. What are they going to say? Should I risk it? Will Jesus reprimand me? Will he say, Mary, go on. You know you don't belong here. What would he say? And we see what he did. Because when his sister comes and says, Lord, tell her to get back in here. Tell her to go back where she's supposed to be. What is Jesus' response? We see in verse 41, the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. Now, what had Mary discovered? I always thought that it was Mary had discovered it's okay to leave the dishes overnight. You know, I've been in a lot of women's Bible studies. That's usually what people say. But what if the secret Mary had learned was to let go of the need to have everybody approve of all of your decisions, to let go of the need to make everybody happy, to let go of the fear of man which will cripple you and instead say, if you tell me to go, oh my goodness, I will go. And if people around don't understand, I'll still go. And if people start talking, I will still go. And if people don't understand and my family keeps thinking, what are you doing? Why are you, what are you doing? Why are you at church all the time? We're not really church people. Why do you keep going there? And yet something in you is going, i got to be there. And you can say, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Could that have been the better part that Mary had learned in that moment when she's standing at the kitchen door and she took her foot and she took a step towards the center of the living room? Could that have been the secret that she had learned so that when Jesus says, Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details, could he have been saying, 
Martha, I know you just want to do what everybody thinks you should do, but she's learned it, and you can learn it too. You can come. If she sits there, you're welcome too. What if Jesus was saying that? What if that was Mary? what Mary had discovered? Maybe Mary had discovered that the key to a vibrant, exciting, thriving life of faith is to get over the fear of what everyone else thinks you should do or be and simply follow Jesus. Could it be that the moment that Mary looked around, imagine what everyone said and did not care anymore, that that was the moment where she learned the better part. You know, in that scripture where we see Jesus says, Martha, you're worried and distracted about many things. That word, distracted in the Greek, means to be pulled or dragged away. Martha, you're being pulled and dragged away from what I really have for you. And sometimes I think God is saying, hey, I, want, I have more for you. Some of you are so bored with your spiritual life. You think this whole thing is so boring and dull, and maybe it's because Jesus has been calling you out of the kitchen a really long time, and you're going, well, I don't know. This is where I belong. This is where I've always been. And he's saying, come on. You're being pulled away from what I really have for you, and you're bored because I have so much more, and you're just too afraid to step into what I have for you. You know, Galatians 1.10 tells us, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. This has been a lifelong challenge for me in my entire life that Jesus keeps saying, okay, Christy, are you trying to please man? Are you trying to please me? Are you trying to please man? Are you trying to please me? And, you know, honestly, sometimes I just get so tired of being scared. I get so tired of being scared. And you know what? Honestly, our society, our world has become kind of scary. Everybody, it's like everybody's hot under the collar, right? And everything you might say, you might do, you might share, you might post, it just feels like everything's a powder keg, right? And you could say one opinion and everybody could like whoonk onto it. And so people like me who get a little nervous about conflict tend to think, ah, going back to the kitchen where it's safer. I think I will stay back there because what if I say something and you don't approve? What if you disagree with me? What if you don't like what I have to say? What if you come and attack me? I don't know if I can handle that pressure. And yet Jesus more and more and more in my life is saying, I need you to be brave. I need you to not be afraid of what other people are going to think. I need you to seek more the approval of me than you seek the approval of man. I'm tired of being scared. I want to follow Jesus wherever he leads me. I want to be doing whatever he asks of me. I want to be brave for him and follow him into things that terrify me. I want to be in over my head knowing that Jesus has led me there. But I can't do it if I'm afraid of what everyone else is going to think. And you can't either. Some of you, man, Jesus is going to take you down a path you have never imagined. And already you're starting to hear, what's everybody going to be saying? What are they going to say? Some of you have taken a step, and maybe you've even had somebody go, it's not really the way it's done. You know, you, your background, with your background, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. Or, well, that's typically not the way we do things. Or maybe it's just in your own personal faith you have this hunger to grow and to grow deeper. And everybody around you is kind of going like, really? I don't know. Do you think just... Let's just ride the perimeter on that. And yet there's this hunger in you that is going, no, 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 no. I so desperately want to go deeper in what God has for me. 
Some of you, God has a plan for you to help people in your workplace that are desperately looking for hope. And you're so afraid of offending them by sharing your faith. You're so afraid of even just inviting them to church or something. And you, I mean, I have, I have done that. I have been in that situation where you're thinking, I'm just going to, I'm just going to say something about my faith and my heart is pounding. And every, even if it's just inviting somebody to something and I'm thinking, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to put them off. And I can talk myself out of it. And then if I finally get up the courage to just say, I would like to invite you to church sometime. Okay, thank you. Goodbye. And I go get in my car and I'm like, oh my goodness, I almost threw up. That was so nerve wracking. And some of you, you're at work and you're having conversations with people and they are ready to hear about your faith and you have something that can help them and you're so scared you cannot let the words come out of your mouth and this week I want to challenge you that the moment you open your mouth is just like the moment that Mary put her foot into the living room and said all right I'm just gonna say it you know what I'm gonna pray for you this week you know what Here's what I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. Maybe God is challenging you to try something new or start a new ministry or reach out to somebody and everything in you is so scared about what everybody else is going to say. Some of you have something burning inside of you, a desire to be closer to Jesus, but you look around and you think, nobody else has that same desire, so I don't know. Maybe I'll just sit where I am. Whatever it is that God is pushing you out of your comfort zone, we have to make a decision. Are you going to stay in the kitchen of what's expected and known and safe, or are you going to step into the living room of something crazy and unexpected and that not everybody is going to understand? That's our choice. And I know what I want my heart to be. Now I know my flesh, <laughs> how hard that is for me. Believe me, I don't take that lightly, but that's what I want. You know, the interesting thing, I love that Jesus defends her. I love that Jesus defends her. I love that when everybody else is probably like, oh, my, who's going to tell her that Jesus? I can imagine him like, yeah, that's my girl. Look at that. Look at that. Look what she just did. What's your question? Mary's going first, everybody. What's your question, Mary? I love that he defends her. And even when, he, when Martha comes and says kind of like, mm, excuse me, this is not right, he defends her again. And you know what else? He does it again later on in John chapter 12. Because in John chapter 12, after Lazarus has died, Jesus has raised him from the dead. Jesus has healed Simon the leper. They're all gathering again in Bethany at Simon the leper's house. And they're having a meal. And this is just before Jesus' crucifixion. And a woman walks in with a bottle of the most expensive perfume she can find. And some scholars say that it would have been her dowry. It would have represented her entire future. And it was worth a lot of money. And she kneeled on the floor and she broke it over Jesus' feet and she poured it out. And she washed his feet with that perfume and with her tears and dried his feet with her hair. And you know who that woman was? That was Mary. That was Mary. This same Mary. And in that moment, one of the disciples was the one to come and criticize her. Why would she do that? We could have sold that perfume and could have fed the poor for a long time and Jesus stopped and he defended her again and said what she has done for me is preparing me for my burial and he came to her defense again and I like to think that the anointing moment in, John, in chapter 12 would have never happened without the kitchen moment in Luke chapter 10 that moment where she went you know what all bets are off I'm just love this Jesus so much that I'm going to do whatever he says and that that faith continued to grow. 
and it continued to move, and she became even a closer disciple of Jesus. Oh, I love Mary. So I don't know what, what your thing is today, what you've been afraid of. I have a long list of fears, <laughs> and some of you do too. What is that thing that you are feeling like, okay, Lord, if, if, I, whew, if I could be really brave, I would want to do this. Or, Lord, maybe, it, maybe it's like me. Maybe you feel like you just want to grow in how you express your faith and how you worship and your abandon and how you serve Jesus. And maybe it's generosity and how you give. And maybe it is a new ministry and maybe it's a calling. What is that thing that inside you're feeling this pull towards it and yet everything in your brain talks you back off the ledge? Not because you don't think it's the right thing, but because of what everybody else is going to think. Whatever that thing is today, I want to challenge you to bring that before Jesus and say, okay, I got my foot right here. One foot in the kitchen. Do I have the bravery to step out into the living room and sit at the feet of Jesus, even if everybody else is not going to understand? I want to leave you with one last scripture before we pray. Hebrews 13.6 says, We can say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. For what can mere people do to me? It's one of my favorite scriptures. It reminds me that I live and breathe to serve my Jesus. And there is nothing more important than that. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I thank you that you defy expectations. And Lord, for so many of us, we have been living a very safe existence, very calculated, right inside the parameters. And yet there's something that's been growing in our hearts. Maybe it's a need to speak up. Maybe it is a need to step out. Maybe it is a need to go deeper in the things of God. Maybe it's to try something new and they're pretty sure they're going to fall flat on their face and everyone is going to not, not understand it all. But Lord, I thank you that we can look at this story, we can look at the bravery of Mary. When everyone else told her she belonged in the kitchen, she just said, I got to be about my Lord's business. I got to sit at his feet. This is where my heart and my soul longs to be. I want to be closer to him and nothing else matters. Lord, I pray today that the grip of fear on people in this room would absolutely be set free, that chains that have been holding people back for years would fall off in Jesus' name, and there would come a liberation to follow you, a freedom to realize that whom the Son sets free is free indeed, and we do not have to be bound to what everybody else thinks we should be or to who we used to be or to what everybody else's expectations of us are. We can step into the freedom of being fully who you've created us to be without fear, knowing that you are pleased when we take risks for you. I thank you for your defense of Mary. I thank you for how you applauded her bravery. Lord, I want to have a merry spirit. So Jesus, I pray that we would become people of faith who are not held back by the opinions of others, who are not terrified by what other people are going to think, but Lord, that we would simply have our eyes fixed on you and we'd be willing to go wherever you lead us. Thank you for being such a good God to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. And everybody together said, 
Amen.